0: Our New Chapel Podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, church. Welcome to the fourth part of our series called Armor Up. If you have anything to take notes with, pull that out right now. If you're watching online, hit that share button. It is a huge deal. Uh, We've been talking this month all about the armor of God found in Ephesians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul was in prison there. He's looking at a Roman Praetorian guard. And as he's looking at it, the Holy Spirit of God begins to speak to him a spiritual analogy for what the life of the believer can actually have. And I want to read it for us in Ephesians chapter 6. If you have a Bible, do turn with me there. Ephesians six thirteen. And then I'll jump to verse 17. The Bible says, take up the whole armor of God and take the helmet of salvation. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, armor up. A little bit louder, do it to your other neighbor. Smile real nice, say, armor up. Uh, we're talking today about the Helmet of Salvation, and we're going to be talking in a message entitled, Crowned with the Benefits of Salvation. You know, Roman soldiers' helmets were amazing. They really were. Uh, made either out of steel or of bronze, they were, they were amazing. They were, they were really shiny. There would be a lot of engravings in them. Oftentimes, they would hammer different scenes onto the helmet, and it was, it was pretty cool. It was designed in such a way where it actually fanned out in the back and made it so in close combat, uh, it could withstand an ax coming at them, a sword, a blow from some club, and uh, it, it, was, it was a pretty hefty thing altogether. And I love that it can take a blow because I found this, uh, they call it the help of salvation, right? I found that in my salvation, in my life as a Christian, I've had some, some blows in my life. I I've, I've had some attacks come to me. Anybody else in the room? Not want to lie. Great. Perfect. So um yeah, I mean stuff happens, right? We we face things and I love that with this armor we can take the blow from the club and we might have to have the ibuprofen of prayer or whatever, but like we can we can stay standing in Jesus. And Paul didn't write that. I wrote that. I'm just want to put that out there, but the Romans were masters of these uniforms. They were masters of it, and they, they did have a very showy, eye-catching headpiece, and it gave them a psychological edge. Now, I've spent a lot of time talking with Pastor Brian, and he was the captain of the football team in Granville. It's a big deal. It's Granville. I mean, there's like, I don't know, it's a whole country, and, and so a lot of kids go there. <laughs> And if you're from Granville, you know what I mean. They act like it's the, their own little world. But, but So you've got, you've got him as MVP and captain of the football team for years on end. And so he and I have talked football at length. I've watched a lot of football, but I had like a big mace and I had a tall hat on and I was leading the parade. But, but, but he, he filled me in on a lot of the logistics. And one of the things that he mentioned was that he would love it when they would wear their white helmet. And especially if you went to your opponent's field to go fight. Why? The, the dudes in the room know. If you could hit them hard enough when you were tackling, you'd get a little bit of their paint on, on your nice white helmet. And the girls are like, why is that a big deal? We have to clean. No, listen, it, it's, this is a guy thing. It's pretty cool. It's a moxie thing. And so Roman, uh, Roman soldiers, they were the same way. Like I say, you know, they, they, would, they would hammer in different scenes. Uh, for some of them, they would uh, actually have their whole helmet, and it would be like forged to look like an animal, like a horse or like an elephant. And if you could imagine how intimidating that would be in a, in a, in a Roman soldier, full regalia, they got this big helmet on, and they're coming at you with a sword, and they're coming for blood. Uh, it'd be pretty intimidating. You wouldn't be able to look away. It would be very hard uh, to not take note of this person. And Here's one of the first things I see about the helmet of salvation. From my experience in years of being a pastor and, and being around this thing, you can see a Christian far off. Just like you would take note of, of, a, of a soldier in full regalia, Kai and I, boy, we can go over to Starbucks or a coffee shop or be shopping and we can be like, they're Christian. I mean, you can tell. Look at the smile on their face. Look at who, they're talking to people and they're happy with life, you know. We have even gotten good enough that I I can pretty much sit down and be like, that's a pastor. Watch. And I'll go up and talk and sure enough, some Baptist guy hanging out at the Starbucks violating the 11th commandment, you know, thou shalt not drink Starbucks. And and anyway, but, but, but we can tell. And I'm gonna tell you, when you become a Christian that wears this well, can I put it that way? You will be noteworthy in this world People will see you. The Bible says that you're the light of the world. You'll be noticeable to other people, and it's it's because it's what's on you. You can see peace on Christians. You can see that that, that they love people. There's a a genuine interest when you talk to them. And, And guys, as a Christian wearing this helmet of salvation, wear it confidently. Wear it well. It all points towards something, though, and that is this. Write it down. The helmet of salvation, it speaks to identity. That's one of the biggest themes that you're going to hear today is that this thing really is to show the world, to show you, God, the devil, everybody, where you stand. Now, Roman soldiers, when they would go out into battle or even just in their daily assignments, you could tell who they were. The, the, the full regalia, like, like they, they stuck out. But it was one of the things kind of like in the armed forces today. you know If you saw somebody and, and they were an officer, you'd be able to point them out of a crowd. And, uh, and so you could tell who they were individually and what they were part of all together. And so with this concept of identity, I want to go there for a second because I get every once in a while, including after first service, somebody who was talking to me who was struggling with the concept of salvation, who are struggling with the idea that they're right with God, and, and they were second guessing themselves, and second guessing, actually, this person, other people, none of you, I'm sure, but, but they, were, they were looking at their life and others, and they're like, I, I don't know how I can even reconcile that I'm saved. Now, let me tell you why you relate to that. You relate to that because there might have been a moment, if you're a Christian, that you accepted Christ and then you did something stupid and knew you were doing something stupid while you did it. You know what I'm talking about, everybody? Yeah, more than the front row, I'm just assuming you've been there where it's like, oh, this is so wrong, right, whatever. Like, And and, and listen, it's, it's carryover from your old life. Some of you guys used to party so hard you'd save up money to go and sin. I mean, like, you just... And and what happened? You accepted Christ. You got into old habits, and I'll bring the this. I'll bring the that. And and you. Oh, this is so stupid. And you found yourself doing things that were defeating you, less than you. But here's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to he wants to weasel his way in there and kind of kind of check you. And be like, if you were if you knew Jesus, you wouldn't be doing these things. Wow. And I want to help you with that because I dealt with that. I remember I accepted Christ as a really young kid. There was a Billy Graham crusade on TV. Remember those used to be on? And I remember I was probably six, seven years old, and I went to the kitchen. I was just kind of unsettled. My mom actually was the one. She said, are you okay? Do you want to pray? And I accepted Christ watching a Billy Graham crusade. Pretty cool. But I lived a lot of life. We were a secular home. Christian meant Christmas trees. So I remember I got sent to Bible camp. Anybody else in the room, you got sent off to camp, and your parents were happy when they did it. And... uh, I remember going there, and I'd hear the gospel, and I'd think like, man, if that's true, I wouldn't be living how I'm living. And, and there was a tension there. I want to read for you what John has like. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So he's talking about somebody that's accepted Jesus. They're born again, right? These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you might continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. John is writing here about a no-so salvation, something that's not put up for chance. I I, I get a little bit leery when I talk to people, and it's the reason why I do the salvation prayer the way that I do at the end of our services. It's because I, I want people to be in a spot where they can actually understand that I did this. Because listen to me, Christian, doubts are going to come, and you will do things that are beneath you. However small or big that is, the enemy will try to run you through the mud for it. And so that's why the Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. Scripture says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Do you see why I have people in this room say, I believe you raised him from the dead, that I might be saved? We go through all of that. Because I've talked with people and I've sat down and said, now you accepted Christ here at New Chapel, didn't you? Yes, yes, I did, but I just don't feel like I'm saved. Did you confess with your mouth that Jesus was raised from the dead? Right? Did you, did you confess Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him? Did you do that? Yes, but I have doubts. And they'll even point to their head. Exactly. Your doubts that you experience are right here. Some of those doubts are put in just rogue thoughts. We talked about that the first week, tightening the belt, right? You'll have these thoughts just come into your mind. But some of them are, are, are sincere doubts that you landed on on your own, okay? Listen to me. It is normal for a Christian to go through doubt. It just needs to push you towards going deeper with him and get the answer to it because there's an answer, some of the, the great problems that you have, like there's contradictions in the Bible, there are simple answers, not simplistic. I'm not going to give you like a runaround. Simple answers. But here's the idea. Your doubt is right here. Your doubt isn't right here. In fact, if you really begin to mine out with those people, do you really doubt them? No, I, I know it here, but I, I just have doubts. Exactly. You've got to resign the fact that when you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, That's when you're saved, everybody. It's a huge, huge deal. Write this down, and I'm going someplace with this with identity, but number one, we can be confident in our eternal relationship with God. The person I was talking to after first service was so troubled because they they just didn't think you could be. And the problem with that was there was no chapter and verse for it. It's just their feeling. But the reality is I just showed you. You can know. You can be confident in your relationship with Jesus. Somebody say amen. Now, with this Roman uh, uh, helmet that they put on, it was extremely heavy. And I found that salvation is a weighty thing. It's not that it's hard to do, per se. Like like his, his burden is easy, his yoke is light. But what I'm saying is that it's heavy. There's depth to it. There's a lot there, and sometimes we don't realize it. When I was talking with uh, Pastor Brian about football, uh, he told me that, you know, they would work out all the time, I mean, off-season, on-season, and one of the things they would do is a a certain, you know, uh, exercise to strengthen your neck. Uh, Maybe I've got some old guys in here who are in my father-in-law's generation, he played for Northview, and uh, they would actually put weights around their neck when they would go into practice, weights in their helmet to make their necks strong. Any old dudes want to just admit that? Yeah, your wife will not let you do that anymore, just to let you know, or let your kids do that. But uh, they would work out their neck, and they would have big, old, thick necks. And these Romans, I'm convinced, they got big, thick, meaty necks. By the way, my father-in-law said it wasn't worth it. Most of the guys that did that had struggle buying like any shirts. It was such a big fat neck that you had a hard time getting a hands over it. But the, the idea is that that weight that was on them, it made them strong, but they still had to do something to offset it. And so similar to our world, they had sponges. They just were sea sponges. And they would get that sponge and they would they would mold it and they would put it on top of their head underneath the helmet, kind of like we would have a pad. And the idea was anything to kind of take off the weight of it all. I think that is important, but Paul using the symbolism of it being a helmet and even that sponge there, I think that we have to be like a sponge and absorb this, this mental component to Paul and what he's trying to convey. Write this down and I'll break it down for you. The helmet of salvation speaks to having, write it down, strength of mind. Strength of mind. Quick story uh, I got in trouble in sixth grade. My dad uh, was born in 1939, so he was old school. So it was like, if you got in trouble at school, that was one thing. It was going to be worse at home. And my punishment was a book that I had to read, which is just punishment for a sixth grader. And it was written by Napoleon Hill, and it was called The Master Key to Riches. Anybody know what I'm talking about there, Napoleon Hill? He was a disciple of uh, the great Andrew Carnegie, the, the steel mogul. And what he did was he took a lot of the different philosophy from Andrew Carnegie and wrote it in a book, actually on request from Andrew Carnegie. So Napoleon Hill was the guy. And a lot of what he wrote actually were spiritual principles that line up with the word. So when I think about somebody who is having strength of mind, one of the principles that he shared in that book was something called definite purpose. This is a person who has their mind set on something. It is is fixed on what they are going to do. And before I accepted Christ, I, just, I couldn't make my mind up on what I wanted to do, where I wanted to do it, what I wanted to do for a living, even how I wanted to spend my time. Now, You might have been confident in your everyday life and you had direction, but people really struggle with that ambiguity. And it's for a reason. It talks about it in 2 Timothy 1. God has not given us a spirit of fear, thank God, but of power, love, and a sound mind. The reason why people would struggle to make a decision, or even conversely, why they'd be headstrong and make a whole bunch of decisions and ultimately have it collapse on them, is because they had a spirit of fear active in their life. But when we accept Christ, what Scripture says is that God gives you power, love, and a sound mind. This week, for the first time, I actually looked this up, and what it means with sound mind is literally this in the Greek. You ready? Saved brains. Saved brains. Anybody else in the room need some saved brains? I'll take two helpings if we're dishing it out like I'm in. And, and the reality is that's true, that God has given you the spirit of having those saved brains. But what I've realized is that he doesn't just drop the saved brains in your lap. I've said it before. Maybe you should tweet this or truth this. And that is this. God doesn't heal stupid. You have to. That's just the true. That's, anybody else know what I'm talking about? I wish it worked in a different way. I wish I could rub the Bible on me. I wish that, but the way, I have a spirit of saved brains about me, I think. But the way to get those saved brains, are it's very clear in scripture. It's in Romans 12 and verse two. Throw that up there, guys. It says this, don't be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your mind. You're going to renew your mind according to God's word and stop thinking this world's thoughts, okay? You're going to take those out, put those on the side. You're going to replace them with the thoughts that God's, he thinks. How do you know what those are? They're in the Bible. So you're going to replace them with God's thoughts. That will, the Bible says, transform your life. The word transform there, same Greek word called metamorpho, you're welcome. And that is the Greek word that is used when Jesus went out to the Mount of Transfiguration and started floating and light went out of him. He looked like Splinter in Ninja Turtles, you know what I'm talking about? And and he was transformed before their eyes. He was transformed. And the Bible says that same thing will happen to your life when you give up on the spirit of fear, when you give up on the world's way of looking at things, the world's perspective. What does it say? Don't be conformed to the world. How many of y'all are feeling a little bit of heat in this world because the world wants you to conform to everything they think? And you're a naughty, naughty boy if you don't conform to their way of thinking, their way of being right. And and the Bible says don't even worry about them. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Wow. Now, when we talked about the belt of truth the first week, we talked about how it's like a belt tightens. You can tighten your thought life. I've heard so much good reports about people that were able to manage those rogue thoughts that come in their mind. Um, I'm loving that that helps you. The helmet of salvation is different. So the belt of truth helps you deal with rogue thoughts as they come in. It helps you have some discipline, tighten it up, deal with loose thinking. But the helmet of salvation deals with something different altogether. It's related to identity. It's related to having a sound mind. Here's what it is. It gives you the ability to set your mind on the benefits of salvation. So I said you need to replace your thoughts, put those aside, get God's thoughts. When you start thinking those, you're going to have a transformative life, okay? That right there is the helmet of salvation. It's wrapping your mind around who you are in Christ. It wraps your mind around the benefits that God gave you, and it is a huge deal. Colossians 3, what does the Bible say? Set your mind on things above. It's something that you've got to actually forcefully direct your mind toward. It's not just the rogue thoughts and getting rid of those. It's then replacing those with something else. And if you don't, you'll be tormented the same way you were before you started the exercise. It is both. You want to control rogue thoughts and replace them with God's thoughts. Set your mind. The Greek, and I'm not even going to try to say the word because it's terribly confusing, but okay, I'll say it. It is uh perka-falia. and you don't know better, but it, it is the Greek word for helmet. You're welcome. You learn something new every day. But it literally is to show it's in a word picture of a tight helmet, something that's tight on your head. Write this down. Number two, we can set our minds toward victory. You need to have that tight on you. If, if you don't have the helmet of salvation and you're, you, have, you have God's word tight in your mind, if you don't have it, your mind will drift. Your mind will go to places that it shouldn't go, that aren't good for you to go. Life goes haywire. It happens all the time. What we need to realize is this. We need more than just the belt of truth to deal with rogue thoughts. We need the helmet of salvation to, to, to replace those thoughts with God's thoughts. Let me read Romans 4 in verse 21. Scripture says this. Being fully persuaded that what God promised, He's able to perform. He's talking about Abraham, but the big highlight here is being fully persuaded. This is you renewing your mind, and you like how much do I need to hear about the Bible? How much do I need to like like bathe myself in the Word of God until you're fully persuaded of it? Until it is more real to you than anything else that you would face in this life, guys. Setting your mind in a word. Y'all remember that infomercial back in the day when you'd like be eating a whole bag of Doritos and Coke and you'd wake up at 3 a.m. on the couch and then there'd be that guy, he'd be like, set it. You can't do that. Let me tell you something about setting your mind. Somebody says, Pastor Joe, how can I just set my mind and be done with this battle? Good and bad news, it's never gonna end. You'll, take, you'll get better at doing that, but listen to me, Christian. This will be a tension to manage for the rest of your life. Now, the Roman soldiers, they had these helmets, right? They had to bring with them oil to keep their helmets from, from getting destroyed. It would smelt bronze back in the day with, with copper and other materials. That copper would begin to patina. And so what they would do is they'd have this oil, and they constantly would be polishing that helmet, and that's a picture of your life. You're going to go through battles. You're going to go through situations, and there needs to be constant refreshing from the oil of the Holy Spirit where you go to God's word, and you go to church, and you get in small group, and you're like, hey, I'm thinking crazy. Can you help me with this? Like, If you said this to me, I'd say you're crazy. You're thinking crazy thoughts. Thank you. I just needed somebody to say. You need that. You need that washing in your life. Because I'm telling you, this thought life must be maintained. It's a huge deal. Now, I want to tell you what to set your mind on. The helmets that these soldiers wore often had large plumes that would go on them. Sometimes they'd be facing this way, oftentimes this way. You can imagine it, and, and oftentimes it'd be feathers. More likely, it would be horsehair and it would be sticking straight up. And depending on what kind of plume you had on this helmet, it actually pointed towards what kind of rank you had. So again, when you start talking about our military, you know, if you're talking about somebody who's a private, you know, I would still go up to that person and shake their hand and be like, thank you for your service. But then alternatively, you might have a general, somebody that outranks a private by so much, right? Big deal, heavy hitter. The truth is this, they both have rank. Yes, one is higher, one is lower, but they both are due respect. We understand that currency in our social society. At least we should. And in the same way, what what I believe Paul is trying to show us is that when you accept Christ and you put on that helmet of salvation, you have rank. You might not be as as bad to the bone as Billy Graham was. I mean, he's a bad to the bone guy. He led a whole bunch of people to Jesus. You might not be a, a pastor or anything like that. You might say, Pastor, you outrank me by position. But the reality is this. The way I approach God is the same way as you, as a man. And we all have rank in this kingdom. I want you to see that. Write this down. The helmet of salvation speaks to rank. Massive deal. Massive. Because because many of us in the room, you don't even acknowledge who you are. You say, oh man, I barely got saved. And you just, you diminish The work that Jesus did in your life. And you can't do that. God God has more for you. Salvation includes eternal life when you die. But listen to me, that is not all that salvation is. Don't you know that they had a way to deal with sin in the Old Testament? They did. They had a covenant. In fact, try to talk to a Jew and talk them out of their property, talk them out of their financial blessing that they have from God. You can't do it, right? They're the ones that own the diamonds. In the same way, The Bible shows us that as Christians, this salvation has benefits, and oftentimes benefits beyond what we've been taught in the past. Benefits that many of us just leave on the table. Why would the Holy Spirit compare our salvation to this piece of armor? Great question. C.I. Schofield, and you might have a Schofield study Bible, he writes this. Salvation is the all-inclusive word of the gospel. It means much more than forgiveness of sins alone. Your salvation, similar to the Roman uh, uh, helmet that they would put on, the helmet of salvation, it is the most gorgeous, intricate, elaborate, and, and ornate gift that God ever gave you. And it's not just eternal life when you die. It is multifaceted. Even though salvation would be enough, it would be. I mean, how good is God where he saves us and, and we have eternity with him? It would be enough. But what if God in his sovereignty put these benefits into salvation and we're leaving them on the table? Then really, what does humility look like? We need to pick these up. We need to walk in these, live in these things. I want to show it to you, just, just a glimpse of it in Ephesians 2. We've been reading in Ephesians 6 this whole series. This is earlier, four chapters earlier. Bible says this in Ephesians 2. God made us alive. Now, no church in Grand Rapids. We go knocking at anybody's door. Hey, does God make us alive? No problems. Here's where the problem is. God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up together. He made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, we might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness. So you've been made alive, raised up. He makes you sit with him, and then you're going to have something about your salvation that you can show somebody huge, huge deal, massive, massive deal. The way to understand that is this, because somebody might say, well, Pastor Joe, I'm not in heaven right now. I'm not seated in Jesus. I hardly feel like I am in Jesus right now. Sometimes I just feel like I need to wake up and make French toast sticks on a Monday for my kids to get them out of my face. Not that I'm complaining to you, but like, I'm just, I don't feel, I don't feel it. I'm not feeling what you're saying. Okay, think of your local municipality, your local township or your local city, they all have different governments. In a township, they would have like a, uh, a president or a supervisor. A village would have a president. A city would have a mayor. Imagine the table that these guys sit on. You can imagine the room that has all the seats that we would sit in. We'd look at those guys. And you'd look up at the board table, and you'd see all the different seats, and they, they inevitably have a nameplate in front of all of those seats. The president, the treasurer, and the vice president. Okay, now, trek with me. If one of those guys is on vacation... If one of those guys is sick and can't make it, it doesn't mean that they cease to be the treasurer or the mayor. You track them with me? When you look at that room, even when they're gone, that is their seat. They are, so we call like a, a police officer. Officer, why? Because their office, their authority comes from an office. In the same way, when you look at that, they are seated there even if they're not there physically. That's their seat. You, Christian, are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You got it. Good, good. I love that. Write this down. It is massive. Number three, when we accept Christ, we're gifted remarkable benefits as part of the family. You are seated legally in Christ. This helmet of salvation is not just just rogue thoughts. It's not just trying to set your mind. It is trying to remind you that you are not who you were. You are not what other people said about you. You are not what you rehearse about you in your own head. When you put this on, your identity, full circle, come on, your identity is in another. And in our case, it's in God Almighty. Say amen, somebody. The helmet of salvation does not do the same work as the belt of truth, which represents that guard on our minds. The helmet of salvation primarily is a legal umbrella, which articulates all of our benefits that we have in Jesus. That's what it does. That's what it does. David in the Old Testament, the psalmist, the great King David, in the Old Testament, he wrote this in the Psalms. Psalm 103, "'Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits.'" that they had a way to deal with sin, but they also had a material covenant with their God. They had a health covenant with their God. They had a promise in their life, according to Deuteronomy chapter 28, to have a long life. He'll be satisfied in him, that they'll be blessed in their comings and goings and business deal in their storehouse. They had it cemented into them, guys. And yet, we have this mentality in America, really. The evangelical church worldwide doesn't foster this, but it is this, that salvation is enough, meaning... Go to heaven when you die. And we leave on the table things that our Jewish forerunners had, and the Bible says you have a better covenant. Let me show you Hebrews 8. Jesus obtained a more excellent ministry. He is also a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Why? Better sacrifice better high priest and so jesus stands over the salvation and it is eternal life but that's why i pray this way at the end of our services eternal life doesn't start when you die it starts the moment you accept christ that's when you're born again that's when you're saved that's when the new spirit comes in you that's when the new nature comes in you that's when you want to do god's will i used to wake up on sundays and hate it because all sunday was was this buffer in between where i'm at and work or school i used to hate it When I accepted Christ, so weird. I wanted to go to church. That's nuts. The church I went to, rusty nail Baptist, out in the middle of Timbuk 3. I mean, like, it just. I'm telling you, 70 years old or older, I was the youth group, all in one person. It was rough. It was rough. Everything he said was right. I just couldn't trek with any of it. I didn't want to go there. When I accepted Christ, I wanted to go to church. I wanted to sing. We had those books. Have you grew up with those books? I love those books. But like I wanted to be there. I wanted to be engaged in it. Why? God changed me. And we have to, we have to stop resigning the blessing of God just until we die. Now, are you going to experience all of heaven here and now? No. The Bible does say that your marriage can be days of heaven on earth. But if that's true for your marriage and you know who you're married to, it might be true for other things as well that you can experience a little bit of that blessing of God, a little bit of that blessing from heaven in the here and now. And so we need to know what this salvation has. We need to know what tools we have in our tool belt, if you will, and utilize them. Now, I want to show you what the word salvation means in the Bible. It's the Greek word sozo. Go ahead and throw that slide up there, guys. Uh, Sozo means this. Seven things, uh, seven great headings. Maybe you want to take your phone out and take a picture of that. But... uh, Anything else that you might read in the Bible, I'm not saying that it wouldn't like, apply. It just might fall under one of these headings. But the first one is that you're forgiven and that you have eternal life. Again, not a lot of churches would take issue with that. But number two, you have adoption into God's family. God has no grandkids. You're a son or daughter of the Most High God. He looks at you with that same sonship that he looks at Jesus with. What? What? How can you say that? Because it was Jesus that earned us what we have. We we, we do things in Jesus. Number three, you're born again, and you have a new creation nature, that nature that wants what God wants. Number four, healing, health, and soundness. When you read about the woman with the issue of blood, and Jesus lays hands on her, or actually she grabs the hem of his garment and says, uh, you know, your faith has made you whole. The word whole there is the same word we use for when somebody gets born again. It's sozo, salvation. Healing all through Jesus' ministry was sozo, salvation. Uh, Number five, inclusion into the Abrahamic covenant. I'm not going to pull a Pastor Joe and now prove to you the Abrahamic covenant. Let me just say that it's feisty and it would take a six-week series to be able to do it. But number six, being seated with Christ next to the Father. Just talked about that. And then number seven, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're not alone. Sozo, salvation. Salvation. Man, I'm telling you what Jesus did on that cross that changed the heart of mankind, changed us fundamentally, and we leave meat on the bone, guys, don't we? Of the blessing, the promises. Now listen, that's what the word means, but we could go through every single one of those and and give dozens of scriptures to show you that inactive, uh, I'm sorry, active in the New Testament. It is alive today, and you are somebody in the family of God. You need to realize that. Now, the Roman helmet Got to wrap. When that axe would come out, they had to have it there, otherwise heads would roll. I mean, it was a serious thing when you're, in, when you're in that type of warfare. Very real, visceral, you're right there. And so one of the things that I think that the helmet points toward is the fact that when Satan comes after us, he can't take our salvation away. When we accept Christ, we're secure in that, right? Satan can't take us out of God's hands. However... He can take our salvation from everything that it really means and he can start chopping at it and limit it down to just the eternal life when you die. Friend, That close combat, the reason why they had the helmets shaped the way they did is so that they didn't have heads rolls. It was a great weapon. Now, if salvation is not worn tightly, the enemy will chop those blessings and benefits out of your life. He'll tell you that your healing, your deliverance, your your promises from heaven for provision and soundness of mind, all of those different things, the enemy will come into your life and try to talk you out of those things or chop them out of the possession of the believer. And, And the only way they're chopped out, buddy, is when you don't have that helmet of salvation on you gotta, you got to know what this is about. You don't have to know everything about the Bible. I don't know everything about the Bible. Only Kaya knows everything about the Bible. <laughs> but you got to start to wrap your mind around it, don't you? you got to realize who God made you to be and the blessings that you have in him. We have to know beyond a shadow of a doubt those promises that were ratified at Calvary's cross. And that's why we need to study the word of God. You need to listen to teaching all the time. New Chapel has a podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. Immerse yourselves in these things because we don't know enough about our identity. We don't know enough about healing, about deliverance. We don't know enough about who God made us to be as a new creation in Christ. And we won't until we immerse ourselves in it. Last point. The word of God is what puts the helmet of salvation on our head. Next week, we're going to get into the weeds on all of that, on what it means. But listen to me. You can be confident in your identity in Christ. You can be a person who sets your mind, your heart, on what God has for you and your family. You can really figure these things out. God wants you to know his character. God wants you to know what he thinks about you. And you need to realize that you are somebody. You have rank in this thing and chiefly rank against your enemy. Who ranks? You you have rank over him. And here's what I know. When I preach a message like this, and I talk about these rogue thoughts, I talk about how people don't think a lot of themselves, I don't even have to push very hard, and I know that it affects you. God's been dealing with you on it. And there are words, there are names, there are, there are descriptions that were spoken over you, and, and they were wrong, and here's what happens. People end up sourcing from that junk instead of sourcing from that that helmet of salvation who God made us to be. And and you hear the words of an old coach or a mentor or your parents say how stupid you are and incapable and you mess everything up all the time. And every time there's an accident, there you are. And and, and it's, it's evil. And you recite it and you source from it. And friend, you can't source from that junk. Maybe it wasn't something somebody spoke over you. Maybe it's a feeling you had, and you rehearse it in your mind over and over and over again, let it wash all over you, and you say, I'm stupid, I'm lazy, I couldn't get ahead, I'm mediocre, I'm ugly, I'm worthless, and you've rehearsed it so many times, friend, you believe it. It is a lie. God has no stupid kids. God has no kids that are ugly. You have a call on your life. But we leave that meat on the bone and we try to numb ourselves however we can in this world to get ourselves through because that inner monologue, it washes over you like the water in Grand Haven. And you begin to think of yourself that way. But God has more. God has more. Your identity is not in what other people said about you. Your identity is not in whatever a parent or a coach spoke over your life. Your identity is rooted in Christ. And if you are a Christian in this place, you are called and anointed. You are gifted. You have purpose. God wants to make a difference through your life. Your life is not a mistake. Somebody in this room, you are called a mistake because your parents had you out of wedlock. Listen to me. There might be some mistaken evenings in your parents' life, but there are no mistaken children in the family of God. God has a call on your life, and it is great. It is amazing, and we are blind to it because we're waiting to live it for when we die. God has your life today right before you. He set before you life and death. Choose life. Your life is for living. Before I get too much preach me, let me just say, this helmet of salvation will change the way you look at everything. I was having a staff meeting this week, and I was meeting with... Pastor Brian and I, and we were talking through things, and we talked about just we had some, we had some pastoral things a couple years back, and how I said, man, we've overcome so much of that stuff. And and, and I was I was grateful to God. And I said, you know, it's amazing how God uses the weak to lead the strong. I was weak, insecure, self-doubting. I hated myself. I hated myself. I couldn't stand to look at myself in the mirror. I thought I was an animal. I mean, I would, the camera would come out, people would take pictures. I'd hide my smile. I was embarrassed of my smile, embarrassed about who I was from, uh, b- embarrassed about my background and my parents, lied about who my parents were. So carved out on the inside at the moment where Christ found me. And I thank God you don't have to know everything or have it all resolved before you come to him. The deposit he put into me that day, I am still working out. But I'll tell you something. I don't deal with confidence issues anymore. That's, those days are long gone. The Bible says that he broadens the pathway beneath your feet that you might not slip. I'm secure in him. I know that I'm a son of God. I know my purpose. I know where I'm going. This helmet of salvation made it so I could actually see a future. And I wonder how you're doing. Are you fighting this? Are you kicking against it? Are you giving yab butts in your mind? Or is this oxygen to you? And you're like, how do I do this? I can't live this way anymore. Friend, there's relief today. It's in Jesus. Heads bowed, eyes closed, if you would. Kind of a ministry moment. Have you come into this place and you're struggling with identity? Whether it's what other people said or whether it's what you've rehearsed. Are you struggling with that right now? Be free. Stop putting that on yourself. God, God is not putting that on you. Some of you are wasting some of the best years of your life because you think that you're something that you are not, that even other people don't perceive. Some of you are becoming something that you perceive. Stop the process. God looks at you, and you're the kid he always wanted. You're the kid that he gave up everything for. And so it's not so important that you hear what I say in this moment. God is speaking to you. Let him speak to your heart and receive it. Break that junk off your life. If you let him do it, you'll be free. You can leave this place without the weight of the world on you. Be free, friend. Be free. Be free. Somebody's dealing with doubt. Unbelievable. Some junk that you did in the past. Nobody's brought it up to you in forever, but you bring it up to you. Held you back from years from coming by the church. It's okay. You made it. You're here. He didn't win. There is a North Star inside you. Follow that. God is saying, follow me. This person I'm talking about, you're already saved. You just put yourself up on that cross. Let yourself down. Just receive. Receive. It's free. Don't have to do anything to earn. Just receive. You're accepted in this family. Father, in this holy moment where people are being made free, I know that the greatest freedom we can experience is in you. It's relationship with you. If there's somebody in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, God, help me to find them. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Heads bowed, eyes closed just for another minute. If you came into this auditorium today and you don't know God, The way that you have a relationship with God is through his son, Jesus. You don't have to know everything about it, but you have to know enough to be able to say this. You're not a great God over your own life. And that Jesus, when you call him Lord, when you call him boss, you're giving that control over to him. You're putting your life in his hands, saying that I'm not a good God, but God, you are the best. When you do that and confess him as Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says that you will be saved. And so church, we're going to do that. If you mean it, You're going to leave this place new, different, changed from the inside out. If you leave this place, having only said it, reciting poetry, friend, you'll leave the way you came in. But I think this is your moment. Despite the doubts you have in your head, I think God is working on you to the point where you're ready to do this. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Pray this prayer out loud with me. Church, say it loud and proud with those saying it for the first time. Pray, "Dear Dear Heavenly Father. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess. Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Put your spirit in me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Hallelujah. Listen, we cheer because we're proud of you. We cheer because we know the freedom that's on the other end of that, and we know the freedom that's on the other end of being 10 years a Christian. We're excited for you. But listen, if you accepted Christ, you got to let somebody know. I'm not going to embarrass you and call you to the front, but that same connection card that we mentioned earlier in the service, if you grab that and check the box that says, I accepted Christ, here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to send you a note in the mail talking about Jesus, the decision that you made, and next steps that God has for you. He has huge things, the least of which is to fill out that connection card. So don't be afraid to do it. Please do it. People aren't going to know if you're asking for a prayer request or if you're a first-time visitor, but I need to get you that information. And if you came with somebody and they accepted Christ, encourage them to fill out that connection card. One more time, church. Let's celebrate with those people that accepted Christ. Hallelujah. You can stand up on your feet all over the room. Did you get anything out of part four of this series? starting next week, starting a new series, but staying in the same vein. It's going to be called Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare, but we're going to be continuing talking about the armor of God. This is a great opportunity to invite your friends and family out to this. Uh, I know it's not going to disappoint, not because I'm so great. This content is changing my life. And so I encourage you to bring somebody out for that. couple of quick announcements, uh, the first one of which is New Chapel Connect. We changed that. It's happening during both services. Next week is going to be the first part of that called Partnership One, I'm going to dot back there to say, hey, be able to meet you, but it's also an opportunity to watch the teaching, talking about our church, and how we can partner together to make a difference in our area. Some people have asked, Pastor Joe, how do I join New Chapel? That would be the way you can join the church. It's happening both services, 9 and 11, so that you can attend that and attend church or vice versa at 9, 11, 11, or 9, however that works for your schedule. Uh, Another announcement that I have is this. Uh, We are having a personal safety class on March 19th here at the church at 8 a.m. This is going to be an opportunity for you to get your CPL and be able to have a concealed license. Let me tell you why I think this is important. I think that men and women in this church need to be armed to be able to defend themselves. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, Jesus sent his disciples out. They came back kind of frustrated, they had some bad traction. And he said, did you take a sword when you went? And they said, no, Lord. He said, go sell your coat. Go buy you a sword and then go out. They came back and said, Lord, we bought two. They always were one-uppers. And he said, that's enough for you to go out and preach. God believes in personal protection. And men, I got to tell you, my wife's going to be there because I want my wife to be able to defend herself when I'm not around. This world has done lost its mind. And so what we need is the believers to have a gun in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Yeah. Praise God. Your old pastor wouldn't have said that. Okay. <clears throat> After this service today, I want to welcome those of you that are new to New Chapel. Maybe um, new, meaning the last six months. We're having what's called a newcomer's reception. And if you go out these doors and make a U-turn, you can see the map right there. There is a room, we're gonna have leaders out there waving to you, we're having a newcomer's reception. There is no agenda, but there is food. And so uh, I I asked for hors d'oeuvres, and every single time it feels like church barbecue. So uh, if you are new to church, go back there, grab some food, shake my hand. Let's just learn each other's names. I think that's important, even as we grow bigger to stay relational. And so I'm going to be back there. Would love to meet you if you are new. If you've brought somebody and they're new and they're like, I don't know, get them. Grab them. Bring them back there. We're threatening them with, like, grapes and barbecue. I mean, what's come on, get a life. And so... Anyway, I want to meet you and learn your name. Kai, why don't you come up here. Let's pray for the people. Give it up to my bride. Looking good, babe. Boy, we love you guys. We can't wait to meet you back there. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, Breathe. as you go, Breathe. have a great week.